my wife and I decided that uh, we better get to preparation. What are the impacts to students in terms of uh, class time missed? felt like their anchor. It felt like the only place where they had stability and normalcy. This is In the Know with ACCT, the voice of community college leaders. I'm Jacob Bray. For this episode of In the Know, I interviewed Doug Houston, the chancellor of the Yuba Community College District in California. We wanted to interview Doug for College Safety Month because he, his wife, and his campus survived the Camp Wildfire last year. We talk about what he was thinking about as he prepared to defend his home and how he dealt with this natural disaster as a community college leader. Tell us about the moment that you found out about the fire and what was the first thing that came to your mind. The the day of the fire was a board meeting day for me, and those are usually days that I go in a little later. I sleep in a little, and I go in a little later. So uh, I was was up in my morning routine uh, when uh, my wife came through. I was actually uh, working out when my wife came through our uh, rec room and said, there's a fire. This is not an uncommon occurrence for us where we live. Uh, We've been 20-some years living in the area, and we've had fires uh, nearby uh, regularly. I'd say every fire season we have fires within, um, you know, a mile or two or even closer to our house. And 10 years earlier, we had 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 a fire come through our area and destroy most of the homes in uh, uh, the little uh, part where we live outside of Paradise uh, and in the unincorporated area outside of Paradise. So it's not uncommon. Um, so my, my first reaction was, well, let's see what's going on. So I uh, turned on a scanner. Uh, again, you know, this is not uncommon for us. So uh, we'd, uh, we'd, we'd already had given some thoughts to what we would do with, uh, when we see or, or learn of a fire. Um, and as I heard the, uh, uh, through the scanner, listening to the first responders, as the fire started to move pretty aggressively in our direction, faster than uh, we were used to with previous fires, um, my wife and I decided that uh, we'd better get to preparations, and that means taking down awnings and, and uh, shade um, uh, sails and things like that that we have. Uh, deployed around our house for um, you know for the summer, and um, and uh, we I think I've mentioned in previous conversations, but for this for this recording, uh, we have our own firefighting equipment. Again, you know we've been we've been anticipating this. We've lived through it once a decade earlier. So uh, and that we keep fire pumps deployed uh, around our property during the summer, and so we. We, we test fired them up. We, we started them to make sure they worked and uh, uh, started up our generator to make sure it worked and then turned everything off uh, and just to wait and see what the fire would do. So, you know, the, the first reaction was one of, um, uh, as we have with every one of these other fires, uh, let's, let's take a, a sort of a precautionary stance monitor, but be prepared. You mentioned that you're in a, a somewhat rural location, but you do have uh, you do have access to fire pumps on your on your own property. Is that something that's common for your area? No, I've had friends, neighbors, my daughter uh, have all teased us that uh, that we were preparing for the zombie apocalypse. <laughs> uh, no, we 
We have uh, we have uh, two water pumps. We have a swimming pool. You know, we we uh, live in a comfortable setting. We're on uh, uh, 57 acres of property um, uh, with a, a you know, good sized, comfortable home and a pool. And uh, we have horses and chickens in a small orchard. So it's a little ranchette. And, um, and, and but we also live uh, very remotely. We live at the end of a uh, private uh, two mile road. Uh, out on a ridge, and um, I mean the views are absolutely stunning. It's one of the reasons we we live where we do. We get to see the sunrises over the Sierras and the sunsets over the coastal range, and you look out over the North Sacramento Valley. Uh, it's just it's truly gorgeous where we live, but it's also isolated, and uh, so we've we have. Uh, we made the, the, the determination early on when we, we, we moved into this area that we would have to take some responsibility ourselves for protecting our, ourselves and our home and our property. And uh, so, as I said earlier, we, 10 years earlier, we had, uh, we had we'd actually stayed and defended in a, a fire that was not nearly as devastating to Paradise, but actually destroyed more homes right along our ridge than, uh, than the campfire did last year. So we own uh, two fire pumps, um, uh, both water pumps. We draw water out of our swimming pool. They're gas-operated. Um, my wife uh, tests them every week during the summer uh, while I'm at work to make sure that they are fully operational. Uh, we have a, we have a, a large uh, propane-run uh, generator. Um, we added that after the last fire. Uh, when I learned that my small generator that I had just wasn't enough to actually pump well water, we have a well uh, that wasn't capable of handling that plus the load on our house. You know, it's nice to be able to run an air conditioner after your house has been filled with smoke. So, uh, so we, you know, we 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 made a lot of decisions about being adequately prepared, and so we have uh, we have hand tools for firefighting. We have our own flame-retardant wildland firefighting clothing. Yeah, I just purchased that uh, in anticipation that we would need to be able to fight a fire. Um, and uh, um, my wife's a veterinarian, so we, you know, we had things like N95 masks uh, for dust protection and uh, medical supplies. So we're, we're probably not the average homeowner, but I, I think, you know, reasonably well prepared for someone who's chosen to live in a fairly, fairly isolated and rural setting. Yeah, you know, I, I didn't realize this until a couple of years ago that there really is a wildfire season on the West Coast and parts of the Midwest. Uh, yeah. one, of, one of my friends is a firefighter in Washington State, and he, he's telling me how, you know, it, it's really a constant thing. Once the once wildfire season starts, there are going to be fires all up and down the coast, and that's uh, almost certain. Yeah, yeah. You know, we, we, uh, we, we purchased this home uh, when I took a job at Butte College in Northern California 21 years ago. We, uh, neither of us are Californians, um, and uh, so we didn't really necessarily know the climate. And in the first year uh, that we moved in, um, uh, we, you know, we started experiencing the fires that are very common. And uh, we started looking around on our property, and we saw evidence of fires that had come through in years past before anyone had built along this, uh, the, the ridge where we lived. And so I started doing quite a bit of research. Um, uh, there are uh, protocols that uh, are in place 
in other countries and in some states, uh, you know, where uh, there's education and and counsel and research that's available for private citizens to be more actively engaged in preparing to defend their homes. And, uh, you know, as active as the fire season is, especially along the West Coast, it's just, it's, it's not even reasonable for citizens to expect that there'd be enough public um, uh, services, first responders, to support that, you know, the, the, the nature of those fires and the breadth and the activity of them. So, uh, and I've got a number of friends in Cal Fire, and uh, over the years we've, you know, we've had, uh, they've, they've been out to our home, we've had lots of conversations, they've given me lots of advice on simple things that we could be doing to be better prepared, and I've taken every bit of that advice. It's great to have that resource available. Um, now, pivoting to the Yuba Community College District, how much of that area is in, I, I guess the range might be might not be the best word, but how much of the district is in range for uh, regular wildfires? Uh, quite a bit of it. Now, in the case of the campfire, uh, that was actually outside of my district's boundaries. Um I live just outside of our, our uh, uh, district service area. But the Yuba Community College District um, uh, covers uh, portions of eight counties. So we, we are the, we're, we're the, the northern Sacramento Valley from the Sierras, foothills of the Sierra Mountains to the east, to the foothills of the Coastal Mountain Range to the west. And um, uh, from just north of Sacramento uh, almost to... Uh, uh, well, heading up towards uh, Chico, California, which is sort of on the, the, the north end of the Sacramento Valley. Okay. So most of our service area is uh, really is at risk, especially in the foothills um, uh, on both sides. So given that uh, the district or the, the community college district has that risk, does the uh, institution have a plan of action ready for when wildfires do uh, encroach on the campus? Yes, to some degree. Uh, you know, and I, I've commented on this. Uh, we've, um, you know, we've anticipated, to, to a, I think, a reasonable degree, uh, what we will do in the event of any kind of an emergency or an incident at one of our campuses. Um, the challenge that we've faced with these wildfires, especially in the last four years, has been that these incidents have not been on our campuses, but that they've had profound impact on us because they have resulted in the displacement and the, and especially the loss of property of our students and our employees. So our campus in Lake County, to the far west of our district, four years, the, the last four years in a row, has started the fall semester with uh, fires within the first couple of weeks of the semester that have either delayed the start of classes or interrupted the start of the semester and fires that have not only just threatened the campus by um, by proximity uh, causing us to evacuate but really more I think uh, far more impactfully have uh, resulted in our students and our employees having to evacuate their homes four years ago the valley fire destroyed about a thousand homes in Lake County um, at the time, it was one of the most severe fires in the state uh, in terms of um, uh, property destruction. But, of course, now we've had significantly uh, greater ones than that. Uh, but 
in that case, uh, many of the faculty and uh, maybe not most, but um, uh, many of the students lost their homes. And uh, we're still recovering from that. Uh, some of the employees have been able to rebuild in uh, just the last year or so. Many others have not. Some have just been displaced altogether. And um, so we've, we, you're, you know, your question, are we prepared? We've learned a lot about how underprepared we really are to deal with um, aspects like the emotional impacts to our employees and our students. Um, you know, our employees rushing back to the campus as soon as they could return, despite the loss of their own homes and personal property, uh, out of a, you know, a passionate desire to be a support for the students who are in the same circumstances, have lost their homes and are now devastated. And, you know, we heard time and time again from students that uh, that campus felt like their anchor. It felt like the only place where they had stability and normalcy. And we were, uh, we were I, I, my, my hat's off to the faculty and staff of the campus who just uh, desperately and passionately worked to be that safe harbor for the students. But then that, that took an emotional toll on them uh, that we also hadn't anticipated. So I'd say we're, we're probably adequately prepared for dealing with uh, the encroachment on our campuses, it's, it's these other aspects, these, these fires, and, uh, and then even two years ago, a little over two years ago, with the uh, flood warnings from the Orville Dam collapse, the prospects of the Orville Dam, uh, it's the nation's tallest earthen dam, and, and you may remember from the news, but uh, there was a threat that the dam was going to collapse, the spillway was had been compromised and uh, the emergency spillway is failing. And well, that impacted about half of my district. The employees, the students were all evacuated. Uh, and yet uh, one of our colleges, the colleges in Woodland, was, wasn't impacted at all, was still holding classes. And so we had you know, a district administrative staff trying to support that college's operations while the district staff were operating out of hotel rooms or living with friends or family or in their campers somewhere on high ground. I'd say that's really where we're still learning and, um, and the work that we have that's in front of us, to, to deal with these disasters when, they're, when they impact us but they aren't directly on our campuses. Are there any strategies that you found to be effective uh, in terms of helping students uh, post-disaster? Yes. Um, although I, I wouldn't say that I have an exhaustive list, uh, we're, we're, and I'll, I'll, I'll digress for a second and acknowledge that we are having those conversations in the state among the CEOs and the trustees uh, and through our administrative associations um, to pool the lessons learned from um, the, the, the breadth of these uh, disasters that we've, especially the ones in the last few years that have really started to encroach on the, you know, what's characterized as the wildland-urban interface. These fires are having greater and greater impact on our colleges. Um, and so, uh, so for example, um, we, have, we are learning how to connect students and community members who have need with uh, the outpouring of philanthropy that comes uh, on, the, you know, on the heels of these, uh, these emergencies. Um, we're, we're learning ourselves how to, um, how to 
absorb that uh, generosity and um, and position it, as it were, how to use our foundation and our websites and social media to uh, receive all of this is outpouring of support and then to uh, to connect students and faculty and staff to that. And, and that is, you know, far more logistically um, challenging than it sounds on the surface, but even more so for a small college district like mine. So our geography is huge, as you've heard, um, but uh, we, we, we encompass um, a landmass about the size of the state of uh, uh, Connecticut, I think it is, I glanced at my tried to find a, uh, you know, a comparison. But in terms of our enrollments and our staff, we're considered one of the smaller college districts in the state of California. So um, there's a, we've already got staff and administrators that are stretched pretty thin with their regular jobs. And, uh, and so pivoting to take on these responsibilities, um, we're, we're learning how to do that. Uh, we're learning how to notify students. Uh, we're learning how to uh, make decisions. So we use, like like probably most other community college districts, we use a um, an emergency notification system that relies on email and SMS text. Uh, but we're a multi-college district, and so we're learning that we can't just send out blanket notifications across our district, that we have to pause long enough to think about which communities and students are actually impacted by an event and uh, to target notify them to, to better utilize our communication strategies to make sure we get a clear message to those that are impacted. Um, we're learning how to communicate and collaborate across distances. Uh, again, not something something that you would you would sort of take for granted. You know, how, but it, it turns out that there's a limit to the number of uh, cell phones you can connect in one group text, and uh, you can't work effectively across operating system platforms. And we've learned that the hard way when we were having administrators trying to collaborate by text to make decisions. Uh, we found out that in each of those text message uh, um, strings, some members of the group were receiving some and others were receiving others, but not everybody was receiving all of them. And these are problems with, you know, those that were on uh, Apple products versus uh, Android products. So we've had to fall back and find uh, third-party uh, technologies to enable us to, to collaborate more effectively as groups. I think that phone issue is a perfect example of the kind of thing that you really can't anticipate until disaster strikes. Yeah, truly. It, it absolutely caught us by surprise, and we had no sense of the, the scope of it until we got into it. So during a, during a disaster and immediately following a disaster, how are you coordinating with your board? So that's, that's, that's probably been one of the easier things for me to do uh, in that the relationship that I already have with my board is one of pretty robust communication. Um, I, I've got uh, regular individual meetings and phone calls with each trustee and then uh, uh, weekly communications. And so they're, they're already comfortable relying on email and text from me. So in the case of the campfire, for example, because it personally impacted me, um, as soon as I realized that the fire was heading our way, um, my, my, you know, after 
quick consultation with my wife. My next step was to call my board president and let him know that uh, the fire was heading our way and that in, in all likelihood, I would not be able to make a number of board-related events that day. We had an orientation for a couple of new trustees and um, a board committee meeting and then the regular board meeting that evening. And uh, so he was apprised, and then uh, when I did make the decision a few hours later, uh, as the fire got closer, that I would not be going in, then um, I sent out an email to all the trustees, uh, and, um, and uh, I know that um, I'm confident now after the fact that all of them immediately uh, saw and considered it. Several of them immediately did immediately respond. Um, and in, in that case, and from several of these, um, I, I would say another example would be the, the um, Orville uh, Dam uh, evacuation. I was, I was uh, relying on regular emails to all of the trustees uh, to keep them apprised of, um, of what was going on in the district and what was going on with me personally. Um, so email has worked well in that case. Uh, all of my trustees uh, have mobile devices and are comfortable using them for email. Uh, we actually, um, our trustees use an electronic meeting management system anyway, so they're in their iPads uh, and they're, you know, they, they're reviewing all of the material for meetings at home online uh, prior to the meetings and using iPads in meetings. So they're, they're comfortable already with that technology probably would have been a very different story had we not already built that culture on the board. After, or when you're working with your board after the disaster, did you make any um, policy changes or decide to allocate resources differently to prepare better for the future? I would say not after these uh, experiences, incidents, necessarily. Uh, we have after previous ones, and not necessarily ones that directly impacted us. So, um, so an example uh, would be um, a number of years back, uh, there was a, uh, a shooting at a neighboring campus, a uh, parking lot, uh, you might remember at Sacramento City College, and that college uh, adjoins our district to the south, uh, but good, good neighbors with long had strong relationships with uh, our contiguous colleges. And um, so we, probably like most of the other districts in the state, uh, uh, deliberately inventoried our protocols, our, um, our, our campus security priorities, and we, uh, we did uh, uh, invest significant resources in um, ensuring up uh, what we determined to be some real shortcomings in uh, campus security. Um, as a result of that, and um, not specifically because of the context of that incident, but it uh, certainly caused us to redouble our our research and understanding into what is necessary to effectively secure college campuses in these, in, in these days. And um, this is probably shortly before the uh, um, the episode, the incident at uh, Uncle College up in Oregon. Um, but uh, we, we also learn lessons from that. Um, so in that case, a pretty sizable investment in uh, our security, including a sizable investment in our on-campus communication technologies. Cell phone coverage is uh, problematic at uh, really all but one of our uh, campus sites. 
And so uh, we uh, made the decision to uh, really build out robust Wi-Fi um, infrastructure across our campuses as a substitute for cell phone. Um, certainly there's the academic benefit uh, even for students to be able to access uh, their you know, instructional work in a parking lot. Um, uh, we, had, we had adequate Wi-Fi in our buildings, but not uh, around the rest of our campuses on other facilities. And, uh, but our, our thinking there was what was really driving the priority was to be able to communicate, uh, for us to be able to use our, our, our broadcast communication systems, which actually provide a two-way capability. Um, uh, and so uh, that and physical security, those kinds of things. Uh, in, in the, after these incidents, probably less so, again, because the incidents have had more of an impact on the students' and the employees' lives than anything. Now, there were, there were other policy considerations. How do we deal with extended absences? What are the impacts to students in terms of uh, class time missed? Uh, what are our reasonable expectations for students and faculty and staff uh, to be able to, uh, to work effectively? Uh, what protocols uh, would we use for uh, local decision-making about campus closures? Um, and uh, how do the colleges themselves coordinate locally with school districts and uh, local government agencies to make decisions about things like campus closures and the like? Uh, we absolutely did invest in uh, those kinds of uh, policy decisions. So from your perspective, what do you think that the average student needs most from the community college following a natural disaster? Emotional stability. Uh, and then that followed by uh, physical resources, um, whether it's uh, access to food pantries or textbook replacements or, um, uh, you know, um, uh, resources for public transportation vouchers. Um, but uh, first and foremost, we have absolutely learned that the students need that sense of safe harbor. They need to see their college as a, um, a partner in helping support them through this. Uh, and, and that includes um, uh, restoring a sense of normality for the student, uh, keeping things on pace, um, regular schedules and routines uh, with the additional support just hovered around the student. Uh, and our faculty have learned a great deal uh, and we continue to learn about how to monitor for, um, you know, student stress and, and for that, certainly for that matter, uh, faculty and staff stress. It's not just that our employees are also suffering from the same circumstances, but many of them and many others, especially after the, the, uh, the lake fire, uh, which was, had such a, a significant impact on a very small campus, uh, a campus typically serves about Five to 600 full-time equivalent students, so it's a very small site. The, the, um, the emotional impact that I, I can only characterize as compassion fatigue. Um, uh, counselors and, and student services staff and instructional faculty uh, just uh, passionately and compassionately listening to one uh, um, horror story after another uh, for these students. It's, not just, and for the employees, it's not just the loss of their property, but many of them tell these harrowing stories of nearly escaping with their lives, driving through fires and the like. 
uh, and uh, of course, uh, academics. Uh, we we passionately care about our students and our, our colleagues, so we we empathetically listen as deeply and sensitively as we can. And I would say that one of the other things that we've learned is that our employees themselves can begin to suffer from some compassion fatigue, and they need support. So first and foremost, emotional support, and then the resources, the, the financial resources and uh, the other support solutions. Um, our Lake Campus, for example, the culinary arts program immediately opened after each of these fires and started serving meals to evacuees, regardless of whether they were students or employees or uh, just happened to be local residents that were evacuated and living in their campers or in tents nearby. Does any kind of insurance cover the cost of things like textbooks that need to be replaced? Not that I'm aware of. We actually have never thought to pursue uh, that. Um, you know, certainly we have our own uh, property insurances that have, have addressed any any damage that uh, uh, might have occurred um, to any of our physical properties. But we haven't really explored that. Um, we, I would say, thankfully, there's been such an outpouring of, of of generosity of, of people just donating financially that we've been able to find the solutions for those without thinking about going any further. Um, I don't know if a personal property insurance policy for an individual student would uh, would extend to that or not. Ever thought to ask the question? I guess we've talked a fair amount about the importance of communication and connectivity on campus between uh, you and your faculty and uh, the students, but if there's one piece of advice that you could give to other college chancellors or presidents about how to prepare for an event like this one, what would it be? I would say to, to mentally rehearse, to actually anticipate um, uh, something like this. Um, I, I believe strongly that, um, you know, we develop muscle memory around those things that we anticipate. And one of the critical roles for a campus leader, a district leader, is to, uh, to be able to provide calm, stable leadership through this. People are scared, uh, faculty, staff, students, college administrators, uh, managers, they're scared. Uh, and they have, many of them have experienced uh, deep um, personal loss or trauma uh, and uh, it's imperative that we be um, that we provide that that voice of, of of calm and support and stability, and that we're thinking uh, clearly through uh, through uh, and, and listening deeply through these events, so that we're able to uh, marshal the resources, apply them. Um, you know, exert leadership where appropriate. And I, I truly believe the only way to be prepared for that is to actually mentally rehearse um, personally our way through these things. Now, I guess the, the same advice would uh, probably apply, but is there anything different that you would say to board members? Yes, uh, I, certainly the same advice, but also um, be supportive of uh, your your CEO, superintendent, president, chancellor, whatever the role might be, uh, be sensitive to that individual's needs, um, including that individual's need for emotional support. Uh, and I, I will, I'll, uh, I will praise the trustees of the Ubiquiti Community College District Governing Board 
uh, to a person. They were uh, all and have been through each of these just uh, true agents of support for me, um, not um, questioning the decisions that I'm making, uh, providing gentle counsel based on what they're hearing in the communities. Uh, so, um, you know, my, my trustees have, have kept me apprised of how um, the decisions that we're making are being received in our communities. But they've done so in a very supportive manner, not, uh, not second-guessing, especially the decisions we're making in the moment. Uh, and I, I think that's critical to, to understand that uh, in the moment and in the, the days that follow, um, the, the CEO has got an awful lot on her or his plate and um, making the best decision they can. And what they, what they really need is information and support. If you had to again, would you defend your home from a wildfire? Oh, yes. Yeah, we, we actually have uh, we started making plans for the next one. Um, what we will do different, what else we will invest uh, in order to be prepared for the next one. Uh, you know, twice now we've done this and um, we're satisfied we've made the right decision, not simply because we've preserved our home and, uh, you know, we've seen the impact this has had on friends and neighbors who've lost their homes, some of whom have lost their homes twice now through, you know, over the last decade. And the challenges that are in front of them in terms of the decisions they face. Uh, for example, we've got friends that are now going to be camped on our property in a fifth wheel probably for the next 18 months, if not longer. Um, so on the one hand, it's, it's, we've been, been able to protect our, our home and uh, avoided uh, some of those you know, uh, challenges that our, our friends and neighbors are faced with. But really, more, far more than that, we feel very... Um, satisfied is probably a poor way to characterize it, maybe validated. This has been the second episode of season three and the second episode in a series we curated for September, College Safety Month. We have a couple more safety-focused episodes before we begin the rest of season three. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next week.